Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to PR360. Our guest this morning is uh, Joanne. This morning, I'm recording at 8 in the morning, so I say this morning like this show is live here, uh, is Joanne Lesage-Nelson. She's the Vice President of Client Services at Pierce Communications in Albany, New York, and is responsible for strategic public relations and communications counseling for its clients. She's a member of the Executive Committee of the National Board of Directors of the Public Relations Society of America and has held numerous leadership positions at the local and district levels. Joanne is an active community volunteer and frequently speaks on the topics of media relations, crisis communications, and business writing. Joanne, uh, is there anything I missed? No, but I just want to clarify, I'm not a current member of the Executive Committee of PRSA's National Board, but I am a former Executive Committee member. That uh, My tenure on that board ended in 2019. Oh, very good. We'll make note of that. Thank you very much. Uh, getting in it, into it here, many of Pierce Communications' clients are in education or community organizations. Uh, what's the difference between creating PR strategies for these organizations as opposed to more kind of traditional businesses? Well, I don't think there's a large difference. Um, I think we use the same tools and the same toolkit that we do for our corporate and for-profit um, healthcare clients um, as well. But um, sometimes there are some additional things that come into play. For example, a, a community organization or a college or university might have uh, a donor segment that we have to pay attention to or an alumni segment. Not very different than um, corporate clients or healthcare clients who might have clients or patients that they serve. But for all of those groups, we, there's several things we're, we're looking at and considering when we're creating a, a strategy for them. And, and most importantly is what are the messages that we want to deliver? Um, that's the very first thing that we have to talk about is what are the important messages that are, are, are critical to share with our various audiences. And audiences can be external and internal. And sometimes people forget about their very important internal audience, which is their staff members, employees, boards of directors. Um, so we, talk, we look at um, audiences, we look at key messages, we look at how we're going to deliver those messages, and ultimately what's the objective we're trying to achieve. Um, so whether we're dealing with you know, a corporate client, someone who's in retail or technology, or one of our many um, human services clients, very important set of clients for us. Um, we're basically using the same tools. Uh, what are some issues when it comes to crafting a specific message when working with these types of organizations? Because um, I would imagine sometimes, uh, obviously in lots of organizations you have differing, differing opinions mm -hmm. from the different sectors about how we should be communicating. Um, yeah, what are, what are the major issues in, in kind of siphoning that down into well, something coherent? Sure. Um, I think a, a very important issue that we sometimes face is consistency in messaging. Um, I was counseling um, someone in the real estate industry recently, and they had 
managers within their organization and people who reach out to the community and they were all communicating a different message about an important topic. There was no consistency. So quite frankly, people didn't know what to believe, both internally and externally. So it's very important to establish those key messages so that folks are consistent in what they're saying to various groups. Um, you know, the old saying, you got to be singing from the same songbook. Um, and, that, and that's really important because if, if you have um, various messages out there, some may be conflicting, some may be just a little bit off um, from the others, it really confuses people and doesn't help you deliver the messages that you're intending to. Now, I'm not suggesting that we um, make people memorize, you know, key phrases or, um, you know, have a script that they have to pull out when somebody asks them a question, but the messages should be understood well enough that key players um, can communicate them. Um, and I'm not talking just to the media, obviously. I'm talking to other employees. I'm talking to partners or vendors or or um, clients or potential clients, but that key messaging is very important so that there's consistency in what's being said, especially during a crisis situation. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but I guess one of the most important things in those situations is discipline to adhere to the message, right? Right, right. And to make sure that people are armed with facts and they can ask questions, especially if they're your employees who are, um, you know, helping you deliver the message, whether it's, you know, top line managers or whatever, um, that they, they have the facts at hand, that they have access to people who, who can get them answers, and um, just an understanding of how to position things. And sometimes it's just answering their questions because you forget to tell them something. I'm hopefully, you know, mm. if you involve a PR um, professional, that that list of what you should share will be very comprehensive. We often work with clients and we say, well, what about X, Y, Z? And they'll say, well, we never even thought to add that to our list of messages to communicate. So um, I think it's it, it's just really important because you sound like you've lost control if you have three or four or five different people saying something different. Right. Now, when it comes to crisis communications uh, i'd imagine that in uh you know education um and kind of nonprofit fields you're going to get kind of different crises than you would say in a, you know if you were representing a major corporation sure uh, what what are, the, what are the types of crises uh, that you often have to face or counsel people to get through? Well, the first thing that, that I want to say, and it's a little bit off topic, but not much, um, is every organization is vulnerable. Every organization has the potential for some kind of, um, of crises, whether it's um, a financial one, an employee-related one. So we always counsel clients and potential clients um, don't think you're immune to a crisis. So um, there are different kinds. We, we do represent um, several human services organizations that, rep, that um, excuse me, work with um, vulnerable populations, uh, mentally ill, domestic violence victims, homelessness. And, you know, those kinds of organizations, by the very nature of the population they serve, are really ripe for a crisis. And we have many, many crises, you know, every year with those folks because, you know, they're dealing with people in distress. They're dealing with people in poverty. They're dealing with people who 
maybe are having some real challenges and um, so they might act out or they might get themselves involved in a situation. So <clears throat> for those kinds of clients, we make sure that whenever there's a hint of something about to happen that they let us know. I mean, I have one client that I always hold up as my poster child for doing things the right way because um, they are very good about alerting me when they think something might happen. Oftentimes it doesn't amount to too much, but I'm prepared. I know what kind of messages I have to start developing for them should the media get involved. Um, re very recently it occurred um, with this one human service agency. They have some rental properties that they own, but they um, are, have some of their clientele living in them at very subsidized mm. rates. And um, there was a shooting in front of one of them. It oh. didn't happen to be their client. You know, it wasn't um, any of their clients who were involved, but it happened right outside the doorstep. Now, Obviously, they really shouldn't comment on something like that, but they called me right away and said, we just want to give you a heads up because, you know, sometimes people make incorrect inferences when they see something happening at a location that's owned by this organization. So they get me thinking right away, um, you know, whether that's in the evening or, or late at night or, or um, even, you know, of course, during the middle of the day. But I, they, um, they, because of the populations they serve, we have to be vigilant about making sure that a crisis doesn't a situation doesn't turn into a crisis needlessly. Yeah, and how did you handle that situation? Well, very fortunately, um, I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. That the media never put the two together. You know, didn't say, oh, well, this is client X's property, so there must be something involved there. But we, we gathered the facts. You know, there's a lot of confidentiality when you're working with human services organizations. So we um, prepare them to speak to policies and processes and programs rather than specific individuals because they're not allowed to. Um, so we, yeah. we had a, a case um, with another human service agency where there was a child who had some special needs who really liked to be in a sensory deprived kind of situation. And um, so they it was a daycare center affiliated with this organization. They removed the child, you know, because she was having a difficult afternoon. Just put her in this room where things were quiet. Well, the mother, who unfortunately was a little unstable herself, <clears throat> excuse me, claimed that they put her child in a box. And um, nothing could be further from the truth. But... She alerted the media. This was several years ago. It wasn't recently, but they alerted the media. And, um, of course, you know, media is going to pursue something like that because it is something that's, you know, certainly very controversial and um, they'd want to explore. And luckily, this organization has such a good reputation in the community and is very willing to speak um, to the media. And, um, you know, we work with them all the time to get positive stories out. So the reporter called me because I know I represent this organization. And I had to say, it's not what it seems. Um, yeah. Let us get you the CEO so he can give you a, you know, a statement. He can't obviously address the issue at hand, but can talk about the situation. And um, they did. And it became very apparent to the media that nothing um, it wasn't as inflammatory as it sounded, especially because the mother 
offered to put her five-year-old daughter on TV to speak about the situation. Now that, oh, yeah, that right there, you know, there's something going on. But you know, we 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 refer to that instance quite often when we work with that client because it was something that they had to address. It could have blown up and been horrible, but they dealt with it and they talked about what their policies are and how they would handle a situation similar to that without identifying the child, the parent, or anything. Getting back to kind of the beginning of what you were saying, it seems to me like. Uh, the goodwill that that organization had created um, inoculated it against a potential crisis. Absolutely. So it's almost so it's almost like when it comes to crisis PR, <clears throat> an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If, if they already have Absolutely. a good rep- reputation, nothing's going to stick. Well, what we like to say is you have to build up that bank of goodwill so that the first time the media hears about you, it isn't when there's something blowing up in your face. And I don't mean literally blowing up, but you know, we want people to understand that um, our clients have um, reputable, um, our, our reputable organizations have strong policies and procedures in place, deal very humanely, especially as I said, these human services clients with, with their clients. And um, it, it gives them a little bit of a break because it's not the first time the media is hearing about them. They know that this organization does really fine work. I mean, I have two that are very similar um, in two different cities, so they don't compete with each other, but they actually collaborate. But, you know, we want the media, the general public to hear good stories, the good things that they're doing in the community. So as we said, we can build up that bank of goodwill. Um, one of the things we say to our clients, the first time the media hears about you shouldn't be when you really need them to understand who you are. So absolutely building up um, some positive, um, some positive um, thoughts and observations about your organization is really, really important. It makes it seem how, that uh, PR is a 24-7 job. It is. <laughs> you know, one of the things my colleagues here at Pierce Communication and I pride ourselves on is we share our cell phone numbers very readily. Um, all of our clients have them. We tell them don't hesitate to call us in the evening and the weekend and, and um, you know, late at night if you need us. And Almost all of them are very respectful of that. They they might send me an email late at night, but it, I know if it's an email, I don't need to respond immediately. Mm-hmm. I might if I'm just sitting on you know the couch and looking at a book or a magazine or something, and I, I have the time or the inclination to do that. But there are several of them that we get a text very late at night. I'll, I remember last fall, uh, I had a client call me. It was about 10 after 7, and... Um, on a Friday evening, and between then and about 10 o'clock, I exchanged, and I'm not kidding you, 11 phone calls with that individual <laughs> because he was in a crisis situation. He was panicking. And oh, yeah. we really believe that part of our job is to keep our clients calm. There are, you know, some PR practitioners, not not those who I would say really know what they're doing, but they like Clients be all riled up because then they feel like they need their PR professional. You know, oh. our our thinking is quite the opposite. We really want to keep them calm, you know, show them we're level-headed, and um, that's when we can get the best work done. But it definitely is a 24-hour job. Um, but it's a job I love, so I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> yeah, so what are the techniques that you use when a client is uh, spinning, as they say? 
Well, we try and get them to look at the facts. We tell them, we're here, we're going to help you get through this. You know, sometimes there's some nasty situations that we have to deal with with clients, but we say, you know, we're going to help you get through this. We haven't lost a client yet. Um, you know, no one's jumped off a bridge because the situation has got so bad. And this too shall pass. I, even, you know, very ugly situations um, sometimes can work themselves out, but you have to listen to our advice, and thank goodness most of them do. It, it's to help them remain calm and figure out what's the next step. I wasn't thinking about that, that, you know, PR is also, uh, you know, you're a counselor sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes you just have to listen. Joanne, you have a, you have a, you have a calm demeanor. So I, I feel like if I called you in the middle of the night, I would, it would, uh, it would soothe my, my words. No, oh, that's nice to hear. That's what we try. You know, my colleague, um, John, who is the Pierce and Pierce Communications, and I feel very strongly about um, operating in that way. Well, nice. Uh, let me switch a little bit while we still have some time. And you do a lot of speaking on business writing. What do you think is one area where people need the most help when it comes to this type of like communications writing? Well, it's funny that you say that because I have a presentation that I do, and it's um, it's called 10 Tips for More Effective Writing or something like that, Maximum Effectiveness in Business Writing. I When I prepared this presentation, I sat down and I thought about what are the things that I see done incorrectly most often? I talk about using active rather than passive voice. I talk to, talk mm. about misplaced and dangling modifiers because that can really um, confuse people when they're reading. I talk about more is not always better because oftentimes people think, oh, if I just add more words, it'll make it better. Oh, yeah. Punctuation is really, really important. And I think with our modern-day ways of communicating, whether it's through text or whatever, people have lost sight of the importance of punctuation. They say the punctuation is the body language of writing. Absolutely. And, you know, very few people know how to use punctuation correctly. I think they've forgotten everything that their grammar school and middle school teachers taught them. <laughs> and one of the most important things um, is proofreading. I tell people, you may think I'm silly, but I proofread every single email I write, even if it's to my husband or one of my kids. Because too often I'm in a hurry, like many of us are, and I make a mistake that's silly, that, that, that um, could change the meaning of the sentence. I've caught myself two or three times sending an email where I want to tell someone not to do something. And, I, and when I say someone, I mean a client. You know, they ask for my advice and I want to say, well, I recommend you not do this. And I skip over the word not. So if I hit, hit, hit send without proofreading, my advice would be contrary to what I really believe they should do. Yeah, and you know what? Typos happen to everyone. The, right. the you know the, the best writer will turn in, in a draft and will have three typos in, in the page. Right. right. And that's the best writer. You know, it's, it's unavoidable. So it's, you know. We're uh, humans. We make mistakes. And we're always rushing. So that's why I think just take a quick minute to proofread everything you write. Um, I, um, I often tell people if it's important enough and you have the time, and we don't always have the time, step away from it. 
put it aside for an hour and go back to it. It's something that's really important. Um, I often finish a project for a client at the end of the day and don't send it to the very next morning because I want to step away from it overnight and take another look at it. And I oh, always, yeah. always find something I can change and make better. I mean, I consider myself a pretty good writer. Um, I'm an even better editor. Um, and so, you know, I always can go back and look and say, okay, um, this could, could be tighter. Or I could say this in a way that would be more, um, would be clearer to the reader. So I think proofreading is really a lost art. And I think people really need to do that more often, especially if you want to con convey an important message and you want to position yourself as a true professional. I mean, I've gotten emails from CEO level clients and I think, Lord, this person can't write a sentence. How, how did they get to, I'm serious. Like, how did they get to where they are? Because every person, every job you have, there's some kind of written communication that has to be done, whether it's writing yourself evaluation or writing a memo to someone or whatever it is. It might not be a feature article or a news release, but I mean, if you're in HR, you have to write evaluations or you have to share policies. And it's just astounding to me that some people get to a very high level and can't write a decent sentence. <laughs> well, you know, it also shows the power of uh, good writing, and right? that if Absolutely. you can put a if you can put a sentence together, then you'll uh, stay employed. Right. Um, yeah, I think it, that there's real power in strong writing. Uh, getting back to something you said earlier that uh, resonated with me. And you were saying that some people believe that more words are better mm -hmm. and sometimes more messages is better. Uh, in PR, do you deal with the same thing I have with dealing with clients in writing radio ads specifically is you go to the client and they, they want 17 different right. messages in one yep. thing. And you go, you know, the person on the other end is hardly paying attention. So you kind of got to leave them with one thing. Right. And yeah. they want, but you know, our product does this and it does this and it does. And they, they want all this stuff in there. And you go, A, no one cares. You have right. to really just catch them and, and, and tell them one thing and shake them by the shoulders and, and, and give them one message. But they never, um, that's a hard point to communicate. Absolutely. To you know, I often start a presentation when I'm just talking about writing. I say, how many messages do you think are, um, are like the top limit of what you should do. And uh, not, not a 50 page document, but if you're writing a one or two page document, what are, how many key messages? And people say eight, nine, 10, I say three probably are, are all people are going to absorb. They just, like you said, you, you can't get 17 messages across people. A, they don't have the patience anymore for reading. Nobody reads anything that's of great length. I think that's why magazines have have um, difficulty keeping subscribers. But nobody, very few people take the time to sit down and read a long form article. Right, we just yeah. don't have the patience for it. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think it's important for people to understand you got to keep things concise. And it, as part of this writing class, I do an exercise when I get to that point, more is not always better. And I show them a few sentences, you know, one that has 18 words and one that has 12 words. They mean the same thing. With the 18-word sentence, just that extra word that you don't necessarily need. <clears throat> I think I kind of half-jokingly blame high school and college instructors who say you have to have a, you know, it has to be a 12-page paper. 
minimum 12 to 15 pages. And a lot of us could write that in maybe eight or nine pages, but we think, oh, but I'm going to flunk the paper if I don't, you know, write the minimum number. We should use as many words as it takes to convey our, our point or our message and not just add words for the sake of length. I love it. I love it. Uh, from your your mouth to God's right. ears. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, this has been a, a wonderful conversation we've had here, Joanne. Well, thank you. Um, sorry we've come to the end, but I'd love to have you back on the show sometime in the coming months. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, so how can people follow you? Where do you, where do you want to direct people? What's the one takeaway message that you have for our audience? Well, I think the takeaway message is communication is central to everything we do, whether professionally or personally. Think about it. If you have a family member who you're not communicating well with, that's a rocky relationship. Um, if you want mm-hmm. to position yourself as a professional in the workplace, no matter what it is you do, you need to learn how to communicate. Um, I have a daughter who works in HR, but she works for a, a manufacturing plant. And, you know, she has to learn how to communicate with people who are on that that factory line. You know, they their, um, their understanding of her messages that she's putting out is just as important as someone who, you know, goes to, to work in a suit coat and a in a tie, you know, so we all have to learn how to communicate effectively. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm happy to um, have people reach out if they have questions or if they just um, want to talk a little bit more about public relations. Um, we're always interested in new clients because, you know, some of our clients, we have a couple clients that we've had for about 18 years. We have a couple who we've had for about three months because they're just brand new. And some folks, especially in the crisis area, hire us just to deal with that specific crisis. We have a really fine reputation. Um, and I, I say that humbly, but, you know, I, I'm very proud of it that um, when there's a crisis, we're the ones you want by your side. Well, thank you so much, Joanne. And once again, that was Joanne Lesage Nelson. And uh, we'll see you guys next week on PR360. Thanks again. Thank you. PR360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.